with city limits? Acknowledge me. I, I do acknowledge you. I do acknowledge you, my tribal chief. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, well. uh, you know, it's uh, we, we, we can win. We can work on the name. But thank you. I, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, welcome to Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. My name's Will Young. I'm not the tribal chief, but uh, the wise man of the two of us. That would be Lucas Mancini. Yeah. So when if you're listening to this on Patreon, then you are hearing this right after this year's WrestleMania. That's right. If you're on the free feed, these takes will be a little bit colder than normal, but uh, they probably are still still good, yeah? And also, if you are someone who was like, I'm going to check out this Arthur podcast, I'm going to listen to this episode for the first time, and then you're like really confused. You're like, wait a minute, why are they talking about wrestling? It's a long story. <laughs> you got to humor us. WrestleMania only comes once a year. Okay, we'll get to the Arthur talk, but... I gotta get. We gotta get these takes off while they're fresh in my head. Will, for sure. What did you think of the show? What did you think of <laughs> WrestleMania weekend? I liked it. I thought it was. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I'm pretty pretty satisfied with everything that I saw. No, I, this isn't. A, this isn't a joke. Like I'm pretty. I'm pretty. I'm pretty satisfied. And uh, yeah, good. Uh, good year overall. I concur. I thought it was a great WrestleMania weekend. I'm still not a big fan of the two night thing. Uh, a part of no, me, me a part of me liked the psychological and physical punishment of having to sit through eight hours of WrestleMania <laughs> in one night. Like I, I, okay. I, I think that because it's split into two nights, that long intermission, you're able to kind of readjust, and the second night always suffers as a result because you're comparing and contrasting yeah. with the first. Where you know there's kind of an I don't know if you've seen Avatar two yet, but. Eventually, Avatar no, 2, no matter what you think of it, it just beats you into submission because it's like by hour three, you you have, you have start to just disassociate and you're just one with the Na'vi because you've just been sitting there for three hours. And WrestleMania is like that too where like by hour five, uh, you can't even form a thought anymore. <laughs> you've just been right. watching so much wrestling and so many Snickers and Cricket Wireless commercials. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a lot. And yeah. it... Well, you know, you think of, you think about newer fans having to get used to this, and you know, it, it did used to be a lot easier. I mean, granted, the one night WrestleMania has got to be like an entire workday length, eight hours. But, but I liked it. I liked because you you would be more whatever stupid nonsense they fed you at the end. You were already so beaten <laughs> down physically that you were like, whatever. You're like, you would be just happy that it was over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there was a kind of honesty to that there was a there was a purity i i i know i know what you're saying um but yeah i i think that especially in the 24 hours directly after this there's a lot of um well i mean there there's positivity and there's negativity there's negativity particularly with like one one decision and then i think for the most part everybody else is not everybody else i should say but like aside from that I think there is a lot more positive than negative, and certainly, it was a very successful outing. You know, if you with, with that one care decision about, care about the money being made, which <laughs> don't feel like you have to. What, what you, certainly successful from that end. Is that one decision in question? Of course, the main event with the tribal chief uh, asserting his dominance uh, over Cody Rhodes. Is that that what you're referring to? Yes, yeah, sir. That's. Uh, uh, I saw. I like your had... tweet. I liked your tweet about how like. This, this isn't exactly what you said, but it's basically the sentiment, which is that yeah. uh, getting mad about Roman Reigns beating Cody Rhodes on a WWE product 
it's kind of like getting mad at the sun for rising. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me um, 20 times, shame on on you, you know? Uh, It's just just that, like, it's – I had a couple of friends, like, including someone I was watching with, get, like – legitimately upset <laughs> and it's just like like not for, first of all i've been watching wwe for like 20 years i've been a wrestling fan for 20 years and it's like i'm inoculated to any sort of bonehead decision that of they course. that they make so it's just like i've seen this before and arguably worse and then it's also just like you know what and on a grander scale um your hobby shouldn't necessarily like i i it depends. It it all depends. Like I know that, you know, sports at large, heartbreak is kind of part of it. But True. that is that's the dice you roll, and and also you know other sports are legitimate. So there is an element of of chance. There's an element of risk. There's an element of like you know real stakes. But you know I compare this. I compare it more to watching a television show where it's just like, you know, if it's really making you that upset, you you don't have to, and really you kind of shouldn't give it this much attention. So, and it's just that, yeah, like I, I had a series of, of tweets the Monday that we we're recording this, where I was just saying that I feel bad for people who, and you can extend this outside of wrestling. This is just, this always ends up happening whenever, as I said, WWE makes a decision that's really on its face, very, very bad and stupid. And the enemy of interest uh, where it's just like, okay, well, if it's if if your needs aren't being met by this entertainment property, you don't have to keep watching mm, it. Mm, mm, and I think mm. you know, I I think this is true for a, a lot of different types of things, and it can be very hard to extricate yourself from something that becomes a part of your life. But we only we only get one life, and wow, you know the older the older you get, the more you realize that you don't have to waste time doing things you don't like because either you feel you have to, or you're afraid that if you leave, it'll get better. You know, and, and there and there are myriad other reasons besides that. Wise, but I just wise wise words will. I think some people would do well to heed that advice. That being said, to quote another wise man. I'll keep eating that garbage, and I will be tuning in <laughs> to uh, the raw after the the hashtag raw after WrestleMania this evening. In fact, I'm quite looking forward to it to see what other annoying thing uh, they come up with next. But I'm glad that you know, despite we just spent a long time talking about uh, how everybody always has this negative attitude about the quote unquote WWE booking. Uh, overall, yeah, entertaining show. My highlight, I want to be, we'll, we'll get to the Arthur. I feel like I can allot us at max 10 minutes of wrestling talk. Uh, but my highlight, um, was the Rey Mysterio Dominic match. Both the, you know, the, the promo, the entrances, the match itself, the entire presentation, um, in terms of sports entertainment, uh, yeah. it had everything and I wanted and more, you know, Michael Cole saying all is right with the world. Uh, Rey Mysterio has <laughs> beaten uh, uh, Dominic Mysterio, and I've been a longtime Rey Mysterio fan. Happy to see him go into the WWE Hall of Fame. I think he's been underutilized as one of the legend amongst legends, you know, of all time. Uh, so that was that was pretty much my highlight of the weekend. I thought that was wonderful. What about yourself, Will? What's a happy note uh, to leave on? Michael Cole was was on one in that match, and I agree. <laughs> like a lot of the presentation, like aside from the 
uh, weird cinnamon toast crunch advertisement but again we live in hell like was really cool like that is definitely one of it uh, i'm kind of stuck because there were two really terrific matches on night two i mean it's just like gunther versus sheamus versus drew mcintyre is you know the good wrestling match that wwe has where it's just like oh yeah the people they employ are actually really good at what they do but i like i i have to be honest i in a way i actually like Brock Lesnar versus the giant Omos better because it was because it was shorter. Brock wrestled really well, and it it like it's just like it, it's also like it was perfect sports entertainment. Of it was the opening match of WrestleMania. It's a big guy versus an even bigger guy, and it's the it's the simplest story in the world to tell, and they told it really well, and I just really respect that match a lot. Okay, so folks at home, make sure you uh, put Will firmly in the Homo Sapien category. Uh, Will is indeed an Homo Sapien. Um, <laughs> you've heard it here first. Well, uh, it only comes once a year, so thank you everybody for being patient with us and letting us a little bit of WrestleMania talk. Uh, yeah, excited to see what the future holds uh for all of that fun wrestling but yeah we'll be keeping an eye on it as always Mm -hmm. so now let's talk about arthur well actually first let us go to the mailbag elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com where you can send in your emails and talk to us and you can have your email right on the air or you can just send us email for us to read whatever you like we just have a short one this time around this is from z Hi, Will and Lucas. I'm not Canadian, but live in a state close to Canada by a bridge. I'm lucky to have access to... I'm lucky to have had access to Canadian channels like TVO Kids and CBC to watch Arthur in the morning. I also really wanted to have other Canadian channels like YTV, Family, and Teletoon in America. I believe you talked about CBC. Are you familiar with TVO slash TVO Kids? That's from Z. I, I believe um, this TV- person is must live in Michigan. Um, probably and yeah i because they're probably the bridge in question is the one that goes to ontario and tvo is very much an ontario thing hmm. um so no not really the tvo does not extend outside of um outside of really the ontario area like i think we the depending on your cable package you might get city tv over here which is also ontario based but uh no we i i've never really seen it i know that you know when we we've done uh, research for uh the pbs kids show on our patreon show or for or for the shows on ecl origins a lot of them also aired on tvo and tvo kids their uh their kids label but i i've never watched it myself yeah my experience with tvo is purely again we're me and will are both from the east coast uh, far east, uh, about as far east as you could get without going on to an island in Canada. Um, so east of east of Ontario. But yeah, my experience with TVO is purely uh, when I look up old Canadian ads on YouTube, you'll see a lot of TVO stuff. There's a lot of like uh, lost Ontario media that you could go down rabbit holes. Uh, for instance, friend of the show, Betamax King, has compiled some of that stuff, as well as there's kind of the Ontario Betamax King uh, contemporary, which is Retro Ontario, uh, has oh, a yes, bunch of that stuff one. as well. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, that's purely... Uh, my experience with the TVO. We never had it out here, out east. 
Yeah, so thank you for the question, Z. Uh, sorry, we don't have much to say about that. But if you have any other questions, you can feel free to send them to us, ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. We want to take a moment to say thank you to the patrons who make our, who well, first of all, who are getting this episode a week early and who also are hearing the content that we have uh, every month. So we have two side podcasts for the kids, a PBS Kids podcast and ECL Origins, which just had its most recent episode where we talked about one of our favorite cartoons of our childhood sticking around. We had a grand old time uh, li- uh, listening to that. I was having fun uh, re-listening to it when I was editing it. It's a re- it's it's great. So and it's our Patreon is pay what you want. Uh, just a dollar can get you access to. Hundreds of hours of podcasts, videos, and more, including our two side series and getting early access to episodes of ECL. So thank you to patrons, including names like Emily K and Stella. Also want to say thank you to Christine Wong and to Revd. Thank you very much to Ursula Cat and Michelle Sprzinski. Thank you to Awesome Eddie 21 and Iman Salehian. Thank you to Zara and Lauren Rodriguez. Thank you to Jeff L and Jared G. Thank you to Alicia. And thank you to our two newest patrons, Hay Strouder and Oscar Vest. Thank you very much for joining. Hope that you all are enjoying your stuff over at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. And at the end of this episode, uh, we are going to be letting you know what is going to be the next episode of For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast. But before we get to that, we're here for one PBS show in particular. That's Arthur. Now, if you remember from the last episode, uh, you may have missed it, but Lucas did make reference to the fact that he actually saw this by accident a week early. So you were very interested to get to this one. You you, you were just like, we we have some good stuff to talk about in this one. I dare say, Lucas, I don't know if they could have made a pair of episodes that is more for you specifically. Yeah, this was, and it's not just because they're Buster episodes. Um, we'll, that does help, though. We'll, it, it absolutely does help. Uh, we'll get into this, but um, yeah, season 16, man. I, I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop and to say, okay, Arthur no longer, you know, this show for four-year-olds no longer relates to me in my 28-year-old life. Uh, and again and again, my expectations are subverted, and I am surprised uh, because this is of all the episodes we've ever watched um, on the Buster scale, must have given me the most to think about amongst some of the episodes that gave me the most to think about of any Arthur episode ever. So yeah, excited to talk about this stuff. Well, we're starting off with Buster's book battle, which though so the cold open, it's one of those ones where. We are posed a question, and that's the theme for the uh, for the episode. It's a cold open. It's very quick. It's Arthur and Francine are playing one of those tossing games, those carnival games. At uh, they're doing uh, like a fair day at Lakewood Elementary, and Mr. Ratburn has the it's it's the tossing game where you have to knock down bottles to get a prize. And so neither of them can do it. Binky tries, and he can't do it. He accidentally breaks a window, and then. Buster, who is watching them do it, crunches a pretzel really loudly, and the glasses fall over, and then he wins a prize, to which Buster says, you can get toys and prizes for doing anything these days. (laughs) 
And it's just like, oh no, I, I, I thought we were <laughs> he was going to get around to participation trophies or something. The actual matter of the episode is that Lakewood Elementary is once again, it, it's becoming kind of a test school. Mm. So they're doing they're doing this new program. It's called IRP, the Independent Readers Project. It's a voluntary program where the kids in Mr. Ratburn's class can earn points by reading books and answering questions about them on these tests. And by answering questions correctly, they get more points. And at the end of a certain period of time, they get prizes with those points. Um, Now, this is not something, again, not familiar with this. This didn't happen in my school. But apparently, this is similar to a program called the Accelerated Reader Program. And I wonder if any of our listeners have any knowledge or experience of the Accelerated Reader Program and if it's anything like this. I never had an accelerated reader program, but I know that the public library system does something like this every year. It was called the summer reading program, um, where they would have like little goodies that if you you, but it was it was a lot more like you set your own goal. So it's like okay, I'm going to read this many books before the end of the summer, and depending on how many of your metrics you meet, you would you would get some sort of really small, not even the items that they receive in this episode. Um, but yeah, interesting. I never, never saw anything like this in our school system though. Yeah. I mean, I think that there have definitely been a lot of other, um, a lot of other initiatives to like get kids to read and sort of using prizes and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, something like this, I've never, I, I never did. I never needed this kind of encouragement to read when I was little. And it's and not to say that it's a problem or anything. I mean, Mr. Ratburn has a problem with it. He's, you know, reading out of this flyer um, to let the kids know what this is all about. And he's got some really good lines here. And it's, there's, every once in a while, there's an Arthur episode where you can kind of tell that it's, or you get the idea that it's the writer's kind of venting a little bit about something that's directed towards kids. You know, I've done that before with, um television like cartoons like they've made fun of different types of cartoons that are like less substantial than something that might be on a PBS um you know Mr. Ratburn is disaffectedly reading off of all the prizes that you could get and it's just like you know he says like smelly pencils colored erasers cloyingly vulnerable beanbag kittens is one that he notes which gets Muffy interested and then all the kids gather around to look at the prizes to which Mr. Ratburn says Another bit of precious childhood magic transformed into a crude Pavlovian system of behavioral reinforcements. And what's, it, it, the, the really funny aspect of this is that how excited the kids are, despite Mr. Rapper's warnings. Like, he he is distraught over this, but this is enough to get famous non-reader Buster totally intrigued by the prospect mm-hmm. of reading. Yes, absolutely. So this is this is way up his alley. In fact, he races home to go read. I like this uh, when Bitsy comes in. She says hello, and Buster's like, "Can't can't stop, got to read." And Bitsy just goes, "Love that school." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Buster, his first idea. So he wants you know the big prize, and the big prize that he and Francine, and a couple other people, are working towards is a skateboard. And so Buster wants to try to game the system by reading a bunch of short books. And all the way back in season two and peppered throughout, we know that Buster has trouble paying attention to books. And it's 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 always been interesting to me that although George is the dyslexic character, 
I do wonder if Buster is dealing with that a little bit because one of his character traits that is very consistent is that he does have a bit more trouble reading than some of the other kids his age. And that could be dyslexia. It could be like, I I think Buster's a poster child for ADHD. So that could also be compounded into there. So he's reading a lot of these like kitty books. He's reading like the Arthur version of Goodnight Moon. Right. And it harkens back to, uh, uh, like you said, season two. Remember when he was reading the blue book? He was like, the ocean is blue. The sky is blue. He couldn't even finish that. He couldn't (laughs) even finish that. Um, So, yeah, he, he reads these and he gets a bunch of points early, early on. But Francine gets the most points because she read a much bigger book. Now, we we get a bit into this book that Francine is reading. It's this big, huge tome. She's reading a series about a group of teens who are descended from Norse gods. In the Arthur uh, world, it is called Loki Benedictson and the Teenage Acer. Now, Francine pronounces it Acer, which was weird to me. Um, I conferred with the Arthur wiki on this. And, like, my, my first instinct was, oh, this is Percy Jackson, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which it which it seems that it is. I mean, you watch this episode, it seems like, I should have checked up who wrote this, but whoever it is doesn't seem to like Percy Jackson very much. I, yeah, it's, it's, I, it's been a week since I've watched this episode, it's all coming back to me now. But there does <laughs> seem to be an interesting, um anti-YA sentiment uh, throughout this episode. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I don't know if I'm projecting a little bit, uh, <laughs> but, you know, these are... It's funny that it's so hard on it because the, the kids in this story are the... They're young adults. In fact, they're pre-young adults. They're not even young adults yet. They're kids. Uh, so if you're reading YA books when you're, you know, 11... That's that's the prime time to be reading them. I think some of the people who catch flack for reading too much YA are people who are in their like late forties on Twitter and talk about how real books are scary. Uh, so it's interesting <laughs> that whoever the writer of this episode, yeah, seems to have not just Percy Jackson, but in general, kind of. There's certain lines throughout this episode about the quality of this book series that uh, Buster's trying to read um, that makes it seem like they're kind of trying to make a larger statement about why a literature which i thought was interesting or uh more specifically the commercial the commercialization of as such yeah and it's funny because you know arthur you know very very easy to see it has always been a show that is very pro literacy and pro reading and this i mean they've certainly they there's an entire in universe set up to harry potter that they didn't they've, they've never really been super critical of so it's funny that they chose percy jackson which is popular, I guess, but have you read you know, Percy Jackson? No, no um, me I tried. I I tried to read another book by the same guy, and it was it wasn't for me. Uh, I saw my, fifteen minutes of one of the movies, and it was horrible. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like my thing. Um, so it's it's just interesting that it seemed like maybe they have a problem with this, or they just decided to pick on Percy Jackson. So, but whatever. So Francine got a bunch of points for reading this one big book and answering a bunch of questions about it. So Buster decides he's going to read the book. And he kind of, you know, he's reading it as much as he can because he wants to get as much points. He has a dream that night about the book series. And 
we learned that Buster doesn't actually really like it very much. He did, like he just doesn't like it. And he even says explicitly in this dream that he has with that has like Loki Benedictson and some of the characters in it. He says, I don't like this book when it's not boring. It's terrifying. Uh, so Buster does the test again. It's like it's like an online test that you do with this uh, program. He doesn't get all the questions right, so he gets less points on the same book as Francine. And the idea is that Buster is speed reading it, but he's not actually picking up any information because he's just trying to get the points. He's not even he's not taking any enjoyment out of reading it or bringing in any information. So he gets less points on the same book, and so he he gets frustrated and kind of decides just forget it. So Bitsy recommends a book that her friend gave to her. It's actually more of a manuscript because it's like a it's a manuscript that her friend gave to her to like proofread and give thoughts on and it's called City of Droids it's about a um detective it's about an android detective did the uh, Arthur wiki have any like is is City of Droids a parody of something specific I don't think so um it was more more Percy Jackson I'm not sure what this might be a parody of again if you're listening and you have an idea what this could be based on let me know um, so no, no, I'm, I'm not certain if this is really a parody of anything. Um, so Buster ends up liking City of Droids a lot better. We see a lot of the main character, Detective Travis Kilgore, uh, who is the android detective. In fact, he, Buster just kind of starts to hallucinate at uh, certain points that he's seeing Detective Kilgore and needs to help him to the point that I'm just like, is Buster like disassociating from reality or something <laughs> i have to add that if he, unless he shows up again detective kilgore is by and far the throwaway character of the week um right it's th- th- one of the reasons why i asked if city of droids was a direct parody of something is that it's a weird mishmash of genres like it's like mm-hmm. it's like a cyberpunk noir um it like it's like aesthetically detective kilgore looks like he's coming out of the movie the dark city or something like he's wearing um you know detective e trench coat and fedora but half of his face is like a cyborg face um so yeah weird character um and even weirder to see him running around kind of in buster's imagination when buster's you know just sitting in the classroom and then detective kilgore shows up and starts whispering to him yeah, and, and trying to get Buster's help on the case that he's a part of. And right, it's Detective so, Kilgore specifically, now that I'm looking at my notes, it's Detective Kilgore specifically who is calling out uh, the poor quality of um, the Percy Jackson book parody. Yeah, yeah, explicitly explicitly saying stuff like that. Um, so eventually Buster... Like, Buster gets way into this. He really likes it. And he tries to report it on the the program that they're using, but it's not really a book yet. Like, it's not published. It's just a manuscript, so he can't get anything from it. And he's very disappointed because, well, he can't get anything from it. But Mr. Ratburn tries to tell him, like, well, you had fun reading the book, so that's worth something. Also, Mr. Ratburn mentions that there's a couple of books, classics, that are not in the... IRP system, and he mentions Treasure uh, Treasure Island and Watership Down, and I was like, "What is it like to read Watership Down if you're Buster?" <laughs> 
This the, oh true. I suppose reading Watership Down if you're Buster is like just reading like Rise of the Third Reich or something. Like it just seems like a, his, a historical tome about a real world event or something. It, it would definitely be a harrowing experience for him. Uh, fun Watership yeah. Down aside, uh, my mom, as we all know, used to work at the library. And one of uh, the few complaints she ever received was that someone had put Watership Down in the animated children's section. And so there was Uh-oh. a very, very upset uh, parent. Uh, as you, as anyone who has seen Watership Down uh, would understand why. <laughs> Watership Down is a good movie, but it is uh, it can be pretty upsetting. It gets, it gets real uh, oh, up yeah. in there. <laughs> so Buster is running out of time to get more points. And we get this extended fantasy sequence again this is not a dream it's like buster buster's a magic and we've done this before but it's just <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it in a second it's this extended sequence where loki benedictson and detective kilgore are basically having this like kind of fa- fantasy magic sword fight and they're both trying to get buster's attention as to which one to read because he wants to read the detective kilgore book but he feels like he needs to read the Loki Benedictson book because it'll get him more points, but even though he doesn't like it. So, and Loki Benedictson is very much like he's got, he's like a teenager with kind of a California accent, and he's just like, dude, you gotta read more of my book. <laughs> uh, so they they kind of do that for a little bit, it goes on. Um, yeah, and as you said, Lucas, Detective Kilgore straight up calls the Percy Jackson analog mass market formulaic trash, <laughs> which is pretty pretty harsh words for Arthur, like coming out of anybody's mouth. Um, and as I as I mentioned before, Buster's imagining this, and he says, as the fight is going on, he says, "I can't believe this is happening in my room." And Detective Kilgore says, "It's not. It's a metaphor." <laughs> Like, he has to be told by his own brain that this isn't real. It's a lot of layers to this. So, eventually, in in this, Detective Kilgore wins. So, Buster finishes the book and has a great time. He loves it. He decides to finish the book. And then, in the end, it turns out it's not that big a deal. Because the skateboard that he and Francine really wanted is a finger skateboard. And we're well past the time of those... Well, oh, well, actually, I say that, but they were popular when I was a kid, and then they kind of came back. Are, are, I wonder I've, if this is when it started to come back. I've seen many a Tech Deck TikTok, Will. The, the kids, okay. I think Tech Decks, they, they go in and out of fashion, but they'll never truly be gone. God willing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and Francine, very upset about this. <laughs> Muffy seems to be a bigger fan of the Loki series than Francine is. Francine even says, I'm so sick of that series. And yeah, it just turns out that Buster made a good decision in going with a book that he liked to read, which is like, yeah, it's a good, good lesson to learn. And now, a word from us kids. And now, a word from us kids! We're uh, following the book theme... There's a third grade class that we follow and a kid named Miles as they break into pairs and they recommend books to each other. So it's an it's an opportunity where the kids get to learn what another kid likes to read and then recommending them a book based on what they think they might like. It's actually kind of a cool exercise. The, my one note from this is that uh, they, they're asking all the kids about what kind of books they like, and they ask one kid, what kind of books do you like? <laughs> and, he, and he goes, Hugh Moore. Like, he says humor in a very strange way. 
Um, it, it sounded like he, it might have been that he had a Boston accent. He was like, humor. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, you did it better. Um, but that I got a kick out of that kid. I also liked Miles. He was very, uh, he's a very good speaker. He was very uh, eloquent in the way that he spoke for a third grader. And then at the end of the thing, he, he in his last to camera interview, he like blows the hair out of his face. He's got very long hair. Did you I recognize also... any of the books? No, I. Uh... You never read Geronimo Stilton back in the day. I no, I did not recognize Geronimo Stilton. I, I I never really read them, but they were present in my classroom in like grade five and six. Those books were okay. really crazy because uh, in order to um, entertain feeble-minded children. Um, they like <laughs> switch the font all the time. So like oh. when Geronimo Stilton's like falling, it's like um, uh, Microsoft Word art of the word falling to uh, kind of uh, I don't know what would be the word to kind of engulf you in the story a little bit more, like to to whisk you away. Uh. Yeah, to to draw you in a bit more. Exactly, but it, it ends up looking... If you just flip through a Geronimo Stilton book, it looks ridiculous. <laughs> hmm. No, it's, I, no I, I'd never heard of it before uh, and have, I haven't read it either. I also got a kick out of one of the kids... One of the kids said, genre? And I was like, I, I mean, listen... It's not a, it's not like a $10 word or something, but I was just like, does this kid just say genre? <laughs> and it's like, I was like, I wonder if the producer fed him that one. But anyway. Hi, everybody. It's Lucas, your favorite co-host from Elwood City Limits. Um, I want to remind you folks that if you like listening to the podcast, first and foremost, the best way to spread the love is to tell a friend who is interested in Arthur or podcasts or animation or hearing about Nova Scotia for some reason. But there's some other things you could do as well. For instance, you can follow us on social media. Twitter is at ECL Podcast. The Instagram is at Elwood City Limits. My pet project, the Twitch channel, which we do live streams on sometimes, twitch.tv slash Elwood City Limits Pod. And we also have a Facebook and Tumblr as well. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and youtube.com slash Elwood City Limits. That's where Will has been diligently uploading all of the episodes if they're not on your podcast listening service of choice. If they aren't on one of those services, let us know. You can reach out to us on social media or via email at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Finally, the Patreon is where you can find all of our paywall content, patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. This gives you access to the Discord, where we have a bustling community, as well as some exclusive videos, audio bonuses, such as commentary for the various Arthur movies and more, as well as some of our additional podcasts for the kids, is where me and Will uh, cover all the PBS shows that aren't Arthur, as well as ECL Origins, where we really talk about any show from our childhood that we want. Uh, and most importantly, you get early access to every episode of ECL. You get to flex on your friends that you're getting it a week early. You can join for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. And now, back to the show. And now, back to Okay, like... I'm also very excited to talk about this one uh, because I think it applies to to both of us and probably in similar ways. This is on the Buster scale. And the idea of the cold open is that 
the Arthur gang are going to see a movie. The movie's called Giant Exploding Robots 3D. Everybody loves it, except for the brain. And the idea is that Buster is way into it, and brain is not. And Buster and brain will never agree about a movie. And I got... I got real nervous because the ending of the cold open is brain, you know, <laughs> use it using his big brain, and, uh, and he starts pointing out like all the logical inconsistencies and the plot holes, and I was like, oh no, brain is cinema sinsing. Okay, no, he can't be cinema sins and Sheldon Cooper. Not only is he doing that though, like he's going full brain here. And, yeah, it's like CinemaSids. It's like when Neil deGrasse Tyson hops on Twitter and he's like, actually, the spaceships in Star Wars could never vertically take off like that. It's against the nah. laws of physics. He's doing that kind of stuff. But he's also, like, getting jokes in. That's what's extra weird. Like, Braid at one point <laughs> is like, where did the robot go for what? Robot spring break? And I was like, does Brain think he's Ebert? Like, what is this? Um <laughs> You were already recoiling, already cringing. I was uh, drooling. I was, I was uh, already starting to uh, kind of gleefully be like, "Oh man, we're doing the film criticism episode." So yeah, this <laughs> I loved this opening. Even though I'm usually number one brain hater, complaining about Rain being a know-it-all, I was fully welcoming Brain just to be full heel here, taking this movie apart. <laughs> And what the really important aspect to this is it's not just Brain and uh, Buster arguing over this movie. It's that Brain's arguments are actually quite compelling to the rest of the kids who seemed, you know, pretty like it seemed like they all initially liked it just coming out of the theater. But as Brain begins to argue, more of the kids are won over to his line of thinking. Well, OK, I actually I take a little bit more of a negative reading of that and we'll get we'll get into it as we get into the episode so the actual episode as you said brain talks a lot uh, talks about his opinion of the movie and he turns the group to his side and they all think that the movie stunk even though when they first came out they were like oh like they were really really into it although buster is listening to what brain is saying and he feels that there's holes in his reasoning like he's you know, Buster makes mention of the fact that he didn't even like talk about the plot or the characters, or he like straight up got some stuff wrong because mm. he probably wasn't paying attention. Uh, um, one of the big things is that Brain is failing to see the movie on its own terms, right? Like, yeah, mm. and, and we—it's interesting because we at the audience are kind of—it's we're not necessarily told who is right and who is wrong. Um, we're kind of because we haven't seen the movie, right? Uh, yes. But from the details that Buster brings up, it seems that like. Everything that Braid has issue with being so implausible is actually explained in the movie's lore. Like, well, this guy was able to do this because he had this crazy brain surgery at a young age. And that explains why he has this kind of extra abilities and powers. Um, and so Braid failing to, like, take the movie on its own terms and instead applying real-life logic is one of the reasons why he's being so critical about it. Well, and it's, it's, it's something that, you know, as the episode goes on, it is like... They're viewing it from a kid's point of view, or at least Buster is, and it's, you know, because your brain is still developing, there's a certain elasticity that you have to accept things on their own terms. Like, Buster's, like, I, I, I had the note here, like, I love Buster's ability to follow, like, a junk story. Like, you listen to it, and it sounds ridiculous and silly, but it's like, yeah, but so is, like, 
tokusatsu, so is Kamen Rider, so is Super Sentai. Like, Buster would be totally into that, and he would interact with it on his own terms. And I know people, like, around my own age who do the same thing, and it's like, that's actually really cool. Like, I appreciate that people of all ages can do that and get enjoyment out of it that way. Uh, but there are also people who are, who take a more critical eye and, you know, no shade. Like I, I don't think we'd be doing the podcast if neither of us did that. You've, if you've listened to all the episodes, you know that we do that. So, um, uh, what, what ends up happening is that Bitsy has to write the movie review column that week because the normal writer is sick. So she takes Buster back to the movie theater when he gets back home to see giant exploding robots 3d again. And that night, Bitsy's having trouble writing the review because she doesn't really have a lot to say about it. So what she does is she gets Buster's help in writing her review, and then she also lets Buster write his own review, and they both get published. And Buster's <laughs> Buster's is, like, it is the kid's movie review, okay. and it is him defending the movie. I, 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 up until this point in the episode, I was actually firmly on Buster's side. I was okay. like, listen, Buster's making a good argument, a compelling case to why he enjoyed this movie for what it was. And I think Braid is nitpicking. And, you know, we all know how we feel about Braid. He was being particularly annoying. Once I heard Buster's review, uh, and I know he's a child, I was like, <laughs> you know what? I've switched. Buster is not a compelling writer. This is a very poorly written movie review. Uh, yeah, I, it's I, true. I am not a fan. I was like, Ebert Buster is not. <laughs> well, and it's, it's you know what? It's if, if I'm trying to think of a comparison here, it's like, yeah. Brain seems to be more in the style of Roger Ebert, whereas Buster's kind of writing like "Ain't It Cool News" or something. <laughs> yeah. Like very, like very much, he's like writing for humor, and he's writing. He's, it's it's very populist writing. Like at one point, he's just like, "Does anybody even know what the word supernova means?" Right. Like, like he's getting his jokes and japes in. Yeah, it feels like BuzzFeed or something. Yeah, exactly. And um, I like, I love film criticism. I think uh, this is this is an Ebert quote that. The mark of great film criticism is that someone who sees the movie, someone who's planning on sees the movie, or, and this is the uh, actually the majority of the audience of who's going to read a movie review, someone who will never and has never seen the movie can all get something out of it. And so someone who is an effective film criticism writer has to be an effective writer, period. That's the film yes. criticism I like, is from people who are good at writing and good writers first, people with interesting film opinions second. So Buster, in his, like, incredible failing <laughs> at putting together... I was just... I, I can't even remember the specifics of what he said, but he, like, reiterates the same points over and over again, where he's like, well, I'm just a kid, and I like this movie. I liked it because it was cool. And then he starts getting, like, yeah, his jokes and japes in that have nothing to do with the movie. And I was like, oh, man. I... I it's it's, Buster's it's very like it, It's very, like, defensive, too. Like the, like, the supernova line is, like, almost anti-intellectual. So, um... He, I, I do actually want to mention as well, in Bitsy's review, it's very, like, um, damning by faint praise. Like, there's, like, her ending line is that it's just the ticket for eight-year-old boys. And it's just like, <laughs> uh. So, that's kind of the adult view of it. Whereas, Buster gives Giant Exploding Robots 3D a 10 plus on the Buster scale. And this sways the kids back to liking the movie again. And so at this point in the episode, I was like, this is 
this is way more cynical than Arthur usually gets. It's such a cynical view of critics and audiences because now, and and I want to point out, this is how I felt at this point in the episode. I, I feel like it changes as we go on. But at this point, it was like, okay, so Brain is a know-it-all. And he's also kind of like, they're, they're making him seem like anti-fun, you know? Mm-hmm. It's that classic, exactly. it's, it's, that, it's that, straw, that straw person argument that I hate about people who are critics. I mean, first of all, I despise like entertainment forms rallying the fact that like, railing against the fact that everybody's a critic and like saying that like oh like critics are too mean or something like oh, that. Oh, of course. Of- I I totally and no surprises here will we're both people who are in our personal lives are become uh, somewhat amateur critics of a children's television show. So we're both pro-criticism uh, of media properties here, uh, but I totally concur. There's been that sentiment recently. I think it was Seth Rogen who was talking about, like, the critics are so mean. They're too mean. Yeah. And oh. I saw some really, you know, people who could put it way better than me, um, some really impassioned responses to, you know, if, if there is no... Um, analysis and criticism within film if you don't take it seriously like an art all it is is an echo chamber of people sharing their top 10 lists forever and it becomes like candy it becomes drivel you know it's 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 a totally unserious thing to discuss right so for something to flourish for something to be interesting uh we need to have criticism um so yeah and 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 you and i have you know been as you said amateur critics like i've been writing movie reviews since I was in high school like I once once you kind of open your mind to the critical eye and whatever it is that you watch whether it's movies uh, sports books professional wrestling whatever it is like you, you can't really turn it off and you shouldn't like I think that it has enriched the way that I watch things and it's made the things I I interact with better even though I don't end up liking absolutely everything that I see. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the very beginning of how when I was talking about if something you like isn't making you happy, like you don't have to watch it. It, it You actually have to have a, a certain critical f- facil- facility to and and I and I don't want to come across as, you know, bring bring anybody down. I don't want, you know, I'm not I'm not calling I'm not remarking on anybody's intelligence here, but you need to have a knowledge of yourself and a critical knowledge of what you're watching in order to be like, oh, this is actually like, this isn't making me happy. Like, this isn't good and I'm not enjoying interacting with this. And then you can kind of make that decision. I think it's so, so important for everybody to develop a critical lens. And that doesn't mean that you can't not enjoy anything anymore. That's not what criticism is. That's not what being critical is. It's about interacting with things and taking taking into account all of the different lenses through which you can view a thing. And it at its best, it makes the things that you interact with that much better. Like, it's it's great. Um, so the whole, the brain's position is such like a, a tired cliche of the way that people talk about people like reviewers or critics or whatever of that they they just hate everything you know and there are certainly those who are um you know uh uh bad actors in the sense of like you know um what uh, contrarians who like that's their whole persona and that's 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 a different thing altogether so so that's where brain's coming from then there then there are the, the other kids besides brain and buster and i thought it was so weird like they're 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 making them out to be like these easily swayed dimwits. So 
So they're saying that like critics are bad, but also audiences are stupid and they believe anything they read. Like, and they come around on this a little bit, but initially it is like Brains says he doesn't like the movie and here's why, and everybody agrees. Then Buster says he loves the movie and everybody agrees. And I'm just like, okay, so everybody but them is stupid. And so initially it seems like Buster is in the right because he's earnestly interacting with the film and liking it. But as you said, Lucas, the way in which he interacts with it, although it is earnest and it's on the movie's level, it's also, there's nothing substantive to it. Yeah, it's totally it's, superfluous. It's, yes, yes, good good word. So, yeah, and, and that's, that's Brain's problem as well. He takes issue with Buster's more facile read of the movie, and he also doesn't really like that his reviews are getting so popular. There's, uh, there's a great cut here uh, where, you know, Brain is talking about it with Arthur, and he says... Uh, well, it's not like he'll make another one. Cut to Buster in the Sugar Bowl. Look, everyone, another one. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get great, yeah, we get great this this great piece, this like montage almost of it's not just one more review. You know, Buster has multiple. Like, well, no, it's not. It's it's everybody reading excerpts of future Buster reviews flashing before Braid, and Braid is like the here. I again, I've now switched sides again. Uh, back to Braid because Braid here is like me uh, going on like people's letterbox for movies I hate or movies right. that I consider to be like drivel and watching all of uh, everybody's glowing praise for all these stupid movies like fly before his uh, his disapproving like cross armed frown. Uh, yeah, this part got like a hearty chuckle out of me. So the way that Brain decides to um, decides to counter this is by starting his own movie review blog. Now, before we actually get into that, there's a, there's a scene here where Brain and Buster's kind of rivalry comes to a head. The first thing I want to say is that there's a there's a side there's a background character here who is a waiter at the Sugar Bowl named Raffi, and I wanted to make note of him because he is again the stand-in for like their audience, the like the audience who's reading these reviews. Raffi is played by Cameron Ansel who voiced Arthur from seasons 9 to 11. Oh, whoa, that's a, such a cool Easter egg. So I believe he was the one... No, I think he was two Arthur voice actors ago uh, by where we are. So, yeah, just cool that they brought him back for this. And he oh, sounds oh. a l- little bit like an aged-up Arthur, yeah. One more detail before we get to the part with Ravi. There's also a sequence where Braid walks out of the Sugar Bowl and... Uh, Buster's reviews have taken off to the point where he is now being quoted on the poster for Robot yes. Aliens 3. Um, they've added that it's a, a 10 plus on the Buster scale to this like advertisement, this billboard outside the Sugar Bowl. And I thought that's funny because this is one of those cases where art imitates life, life and vice versa. We're now at a point now in, in popular culture, the, the everyone's a critic world, where people's random tweets about movies are getting added to, like, trailers and stuff. It used to be that you had to be, like, quoted in the Chicago Sun, right? For your, your yes. wow, this movie was so great to be quoted. But now it's just, like, Eddie Joe Schmo. I remember they started doing this. Remember when that movie Gaudy came out? That awful, yes. um, awful Gotti movie um, with John Travolta? And mm-hmm. they were like, don't listen to the critics. This is what audience are saying about Gotti. And it was a bunch of random people's tweets. That's where we're at with the Buster scale. Yeah, it's so it's so pathetic and naked when they do that. Um, so, yeah, Buster's working on his next review. He's, like, writing it longhand, and Raffi is saying how much he likes 
uh, Buster's reviews. And then Brain comes in and he announces that he has started his own movie review blog to counter Buster's column. And Raffi goes on his smartphone to read the blog, and he's like, oh, actually, I think I kind of agree. So he's his opinion is being swayed. And Brain also says that, like, you know, it takes time for the newspaper to be published. So his movie review blog can be published whenever he wants, basically. So he has the one up on Buster. And then they both of them kind of explain what they don't like about the other's criticism. Brain's frustrated that Buster only reviews movies that he likes, and he rates them very highly. Um, you know, he says... Uh, you only watch movies with explosions in them. And Buster says, no movies don't have explosions in them. And Raffi <laughs> just goes, true. And it's like, Raffi's like, I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he's a little H-I-G-H or something. <laughs> uh, smoked one outside <laughs> on his break or something. Whereas Buster thinks Brain hates every movie. And this was very telling. This was the classic of like, name one movie you like. And Brain s- thinks about it for a second and then he says his favorite movie is the French movie La Règle de Jeu, which is a real movie. The rules of the game. It's a black and white movie from 1939. And, you- it's, and again, it's, it's, it's a stereotype of like, oh, well, movie critics, they only like foreign films with subtitles that black and white, you know, uh, didn't get five stars because it wasn't in the Tokyo Dome, that kind of thing. And this one detail, in my opinion is what pulls the entire episode together. Because I think this is so much more effective and powerful than them making up uh, basically a parody of a real... I, I think this basically shows the writer's cards bare. It, 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 it's, we stop talking about um, metaphors and then we see what the author actually thinks about these two characters and their feelings with this detail. Because they could have just made a parody of the type of movie that movie critics tend to like, right? Like, oh, sure. like, like we could make an Arthur version of a, of a, a pretentious French old black and white movie. But instead... Yeah, like, like, yeah, it's like the Arthur version of the artist or something. Yeah, exactly. But instead, they make it Jean Renoir, uh, Renoir's The Rules of the Game, which have you seen it, Will? No, I didn't. I haven't. I it's, hadn't even heard of it before this. It's brilliant. It's amazing. It's a really, really, really good movie. Um, it, yeah, it's it's an amazing movie. And so, it's what we again. Team Braid on this one. It was like, oh, okay. Braid is talking about a movie that's actually like awesome. And so he actually <laughs> does know what he's talking about. And I liked this detail quite a bit because it shows that. And maybe this is my less cynical view of of brain, but it shows that like okay, he actually does earnestly like movies. He just is holding them to an incredibly high standard because he's seen yeah. really good movies. And so Buster's coming from it from a completely different perspective because he hasn't seen this sh- stuff. He's never seen Rules of the Game, so he doesn't have anything to compare it to. And so you know, if the first movie you've ever seen is Transformers Two. You're probably gonna be like, "Wow, that was amazing!" You know what I mean? Um, so because it's like it's like that it's like that tweet of a uh, guy who's only seen the Boss Baby watching any other movie, getting some real the Boss Baby vibes from this one. Exactly, and, and yes, exactly. Um, and so this I thought was really interesting because um, you're right that th- this episode um, teeters on the edge of kind of making brain a, a straw man or a caricature of, of overtly, overly critical, uh, film fans. And, and Buster's kind of the inverse of that, of just like a drooling moron who gives everything five stars. Um, <laughs> but, uh, here we see that no, in fact, 
it's a it's just a difference of perspective um mm-hmm. and i like this because i i think it proves that no brain isn't a caricature he doesn't uh dislike every movie in fact it proves he's got a love for cinema um so i think this was a really interesting detail and i love renoir is one of the masters like you could get the, the um what's his other the the grand illusion or whatever like he's got other uh other hits so to speak um and so i i loved this detail I mean, it's on my letterbox list now. I'd, I'd very much like to see it. Um, so they decide to have a little bit of a competition. They're going to review the same movie. They're going to go to the same movie, review the same movie, and see which review gets over better with their friends. So they go to the theater, and it's like they, they get tickets to everything, and Buster's going to pick a random movie. Um, they decide to go, the, or they end up going to a French film with subtitles called Les Murmures de, Silen- de Silence. Um, Which the this other is movies, what, this the, is what I was like. This is the actual fake Arthur one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the uh, by the way, the other movies that are playing are Space 3D Battle, Robot Aliens 3: The Final Explosions 3D, Swamp Monster 2 3D, and Bionic Bunny 3D. Which 2013, we were. I think I feel like we were coming to maybe near the end of this, but we were still in the craze of like. I mean, and we're still doing this today, but, like, the real beginning of, like, movies releasing in 3D and, like, every major release is in 3D and has to be in 3D, even if it kind of doesn't make sense. That might have been where the worst of it was, actually, because all those movies went into production after Avatar came out in 2009. So Mm. if you think about that timeline, it's like, okay, Avatar comes out in 2009, it's this huge success, and then everyone's like, we got to make all these 3D movies and spent the next three three years like making them. So that's probably where this is coming from, is that we were in the throngs of uh, all those terrible 3D movies. Especially the ones that were added in post, where they like, in post-production, make them 3D. Yeah. Those movies are horrible. Yeah, post-conversion 3D is really not good. Um, so they go to this movie, and they make their reviews, and the group reads their reviews afterwards, and... Eventually, they, you know, Brain and Buster ask them, well, which one did you like better? And they say, well, we haven't seen the movie, so we don't know which is better. And they ultimately leave, leave them behind because they're both very insistent of like, no, no, you like just read it and tell us which is better. And Arthur says that they should respect the opinions of others if they want theirs to be respected. And ultimately, although Brain and Buster still disagree with each other, they agree to disagree and the interesting thing is that they have differing opinions on the movie, but Buster liked the movie and Brain did not. So it's showing that Buster is at least open to new experiences and that also that Brain is not as predictable as he may seem uh, on the outside. So that's that's where we end up with that one. Yeah, and I, I really do love that conclusion because it again approves that neither brain nor buster are caricatures and even though they were using some of the straw man arguments you're likely to hear people when they discuss movies be like oh either someone's too pretentious or someone is too you know easy on every movie and and doesn't engage with things critically enough and instead you learn that at the end of the day and this is probably true of almost every movie ever it actually just came down to a matter of personal taste. And where they really differ on it is Buster really liked the story uh, and Brain did not. So it had nothing to do with all these kind of um, more, uh, uh, less, 
uh, substantial elements of the movie, you know, the aesthetic of it, is it old, does it have subtitles, you know, Buster was expecting Bray to like it just because it had subtitles, and at the end of the day, it's what the movie said, and what the movie, how, how, what the audience brought to the movie and how they walked away feeling about it. And that was the key difference. And so I really like that it illustrates that uh, both Buster and Brain are more than what they seem initially uh, walking away from. Lee Murmur D. Silence. <laughs> All right, let's uh, rewind it back. Look at these two Buster episodes. Uh, the first one was Buster's Book Battle. Lucas, what did you think? I thought Buster's book battle was very entertaining. It was weird, interesting to see uh, Arthur come for YA literature uh, the <laughs> way it was, but it definitely tickled me because seeing people argue about that on Twitter all the time gives me a little bit of a headache. So I was like, well, at yeah. least at least Arthur is on my side, uh, even though it's a kind of a strange message, given that, like you said, the show is so pro-literacy and, and pro-reading whatever you can for the sake of reading. Um, but I thought it was entertaining, and I thought that uh, Detective of Kilgore is a very creative character uh, that seemed to have come out of nowhere uh, that I hope we see again. But uh, it, it was definitely not uh, between these two episodes. We'll get to it. But it, it's the one I liked a little bit less. What about yourself, Will? What did you think of it? I did like it. Um, I thought it was a really interesting idea. And both of these kind of the same thing of like, and as I mentioned before, it feels like we're getting a bit more from what could be the writers or the creators' real lives. And, of course, that comes across when it's like, this might be what they really think of the Percy Jackson series or, like, mass market youth uh, YA literature. But it also makes it a little bit more punchy than normal. And when I say punchy, I mean, like, kind of keeps you on your toes. Like, you never expect Arthur... Like, sometimes I think that, you know, even though we like the show... It's weird. It can be weird sometimes when Arthur, the show, seems to have an opinion on something. And not to say that it, sh it it doesn't ever or that it shouldn't. I like it. But it's also like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. It's like they're using live rounds all of a sudden for Percy Jackson <laughs> or, or YA literature. And it's just like, okay. So it makes you, it kind of reminds you that, you know, it helps Arthur feel less like the content factory, it helps, but less of a mill. And, I feel that it successfully avoided that a lot, and that was something that I think we were afraid of when we were going into this season. And as we've said in the past couple of weeks, we, I, you know, our opinion of this season, I think both of us are actually quite positive on it so far. And it's little stuff like this that makes it, that continues to prove the point of like, okay, the animation is different, but the writing is still good. And if anything, it's like, almost meeting us where we live in in some cases. So a little bit less with Buster's book battle. Um, you know, we go back to the theme of, you know, you should read for enjoyment, which, you know, the, <laughs> I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of Josh Owen and trying to say, you know, less. So Josh, if you're listening, sorry. Um, we go back to the idea of reading being a good thing. And it's just like, that's where we started. That's where we started, and that's one of Arthur's biggest things, that reading is great, yes. But this is also within, within that umbrella of literacy good. We get we dig deeper, and it's like, but you should also enjoy it. Like, you should read books that you enjoy. And it's one of those things where you pretty much anybody can find reading material that they enjoy. Like, I'm pretty confident about that. You know, there are people who don't enjoy reading, but I still think... Th that everybody has a type of book or literature that they can enjoy. And that's what you should focus on. And I think that that's a really good message because 
especially when we were going to school and a lot of literacy programs are very much just like, read, just read, read anything, read. And it can, I like, you worry that sometimes it can get away from the idea of you should read because you like it. You should learn to read and you should become a strong reader. But hopefully it's because there's something there that you like. And that's an important thing to consider. So I liked this message and I thought it was a pretty it was a pretty fun episode around it too. Very creative with the two uh books that were in play there and some very good Mr. Ratburn lines too that I relate to because I am an old. Um I'm very interested to see how you bring together on the Buster scale. This one was like so I liked it. I did like it. I think I'm going to guess I probably liked it a little bit less than you did, but I still quite liked it because it's such an interesting thing for like a kid's show to even like attempt to get across like how often are eight-year-olds encountering critics you know but I say that you know I say that and you gotta start sometime eventually you're going to encounter this in one way or another either you as a kid like For me, it was when I was a teenager and I started to pay attention to the movie reviewers that were on our local news. Or at that time, it was uh, Ebert and Roper um, because I, I didn't watch Siskel and Ebert when Siskel was still alive. So Ebert and Roper and understanding that like you can go into a movie and kind of like like not just let it wash over you. Or just, or even just reading like reviews in the newspaper of albums or movies or books and understanding that this can be helpful. And then it was even further propelled, personally speaking, by the birth and apex of reviewer culture in the mid to late 2000s. You know, the, the Nostalgia Critic and Channel Awesome and all that stuff. I was a huge fan of Channel Awesome. And that helped me to understand not only why critical thought is important, but also that it is something that I wanted to do. Now, there's a lot (laughs) that was not right with the way that Channel Awesome and its ilk approached uh, reviewing or uh, criticism, I should say. Um, So they are not necessarily, there's lessons to be learned positively and negatively from that. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is that this this didn't strike me as like a, a sh- like an episode that would appeal to kids or maybe even be understood by kids but i think maybe i might have been i might be selling kids a bit short on this one and i think that this is an interesting an interesting episode to chew on like it's uh, it's interesting for me to chew on as well and i'm really really glad i was afraid in the middle of the episode that this was going to be an anti-critic screed I was afraid that Brain was going to be the straw man of like critics don't know what they're talking about. They're all stupid and they can't they can't create anything so they criticize it, which is the most hacky BS argument that I hate hearing, but they didn't. They actually they both sides did a little bit in terms of like no one is more right than the other. There are shortcomings to both approaches and thankfully they also steered away from like and the audience are just stupid stupid sheep you know the the audience are completely um you know gullible fools and totally naive so it, at the end they redeem that a little bit too so very very interesting and just a just a just a wild swing for arthur to take that i really 
respect in a way. You know, Will, maybe it's because between the two of us, I can I can sometimes be the cynic. But that last detail about how the audience are just uh, simple sheep, I actually do think it does pick a side on that matter. And that it's that okay. Brain and Buster, despite their differences, because they're both examining the 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 work in their own ways and coming to their own conclusions about it, are the ones who are above everybody else, right? Okay. It is actually a criticism of Arthur and the rest of the gang because they're just, they're like most people. And I don't, and this is how most people work. It's true. They're just watching the movie for entertainment and they're not really thinking that much about it whatsoever. But Buster and brain have that bug where they not only are thinking about the movie um, on its own terms, but they're bringing from what they feel about the movie and, and what the movie says about them and, and, and what their experience say about the movie in itself. And so I think this episode is a glowing testament to critical analysis. And I think that it's actually very much waving that flag against what we were talking about earlier, about against the Seth Rogans being like, you're being so mean when you don't just like shower our movies with praise, which I think is rich yeah. coming from him and the you know, you're a gajillionaire, like, boo-hoo, man. But, like, I think that, um, you know, talking to your friends and talking to people online about what movies you like and you don't like and why you like them or don't like them is what it's all about, baby! And why are we even doing this, right? <laughs> and so I uh, I loved, loved, loved this episode. Uh, I never in a million years thought Arthur was going to be talking about the works of Renoir. Um, <laughs> you know, if just one person, if one kid watched the rules of the game because they saw this episode, I think uh, it is an absolute massive success because I was worried, like you, that, you know, Brain was going to be this straw man, this kind of, um, uh, especially like Neil deGrasse Tyson, where he's talking about, like, this could never actually happen in the movie, like, poking all these logical arguments. And instead, to hear him bring up a movie that's, I think, the perfect movie to pick because it could very well be, yeah, that straw man of, like, oh, this pretentious French movie, this is the one you like. But it's a really great movie. And any kid who went out and watched that movie because of this would be well served by doing so, right? It would broaden their horizons by doing so. And so I think that's really the note that this episode ends on is that you shouldn't have preconceived notions about movies. You should just think about, did I like it or did I not like it and why? And I think that at certain points, both Buster and Braid are right. And that's how I feel. That's how I feel about movies. I love movies. It's one of my passions. I love film. And I love film when it's Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And I love film when it's Ingmar Bergman's persona. And I, I, I love it all, right? Both things that would be considered, you know, uh, over the top and explosions and um, for the lowest common denominator. And then things that are considered, you know, high art house, uh, really serious uh, films worth uh, examining and uh, breaking down. I love it all, and I think this episode does a good job of articulating why it all kind of has merit as long as you're thinking critically about it and you're able to kind of back up what you're saying. And so I really did love this episode. Uh, I think it's just, you know, taking all of those elements and the moral out of it, 
Um, just on a beat-by-beat plot episode, I think it's really funny. I think it makes good use of Buster and the brain. Um, but in the end, I, I would chalk this up to, and it's been a while since I've said this, uh, especially uh, season 16. This might be one of my favorite Arthur episodes we've ever watched. And so I really, really enjoyed it. Wow. It's and I can tell like you, you the 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 passion you have for this episode is was really um it was really evident from from listening to you talk about it and I think you I think you make a really good point that in the end it's important that you engage and think and be critical which which I you know I said as much already in this episode and I totally I totally agree with that so um yeah I think this I think this is a, it's a it's a good thing this exists and I'm just surprised I'm only finding out about it now but that's the beauty of going through all of these Arthur seasons that we've never seen we continue to be surprised often in really positive and great ways so really really glad for that all right that'll do it for Elwood City Limits uh this week thank you very much for uh listening and uh very much appreciate you doing so I'm going to just let you know about a couple things. Uh, first of all, over on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Limits. As I said, the new episode of ECL Origins, talking about sticking around, is out. And for the month of April, we are going to have a new episode of For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast. Now, over on the Patreon, we have a link to a form where, not a form, but like a suggestion box. Uh, where you can send in suggestions for future episodes of For the Kids, because there are a lot of we we really want to know what you want to hear from this podcast series, and there are a couple of television shows, a couple of PBS Kids shows that got multiple um, multiple suggestions. So we're gonna go with those ones first, and so for the first of not the first. So for the next episode, we're going to go with one of the ones that was recommended several times. Uh, That would be Peep and the Big Wide World. Now, never heard of this before in my life. No idea what it is. Going in completely blind. So I'm going to do some research about that. We're going to watch an episode, and we're going to talk about Peep and the Big Wide World. That's coming up at the end of the month of April for Patreons. Patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Speaking of Patreons... I am on a new episode of The Wheel of Scooby-Doo, which is a Patreon-exclusive podcast run by friend of the show and former guest host, Doctor. That is over at patreon.com slash SSAA Network. So The Wheel of Scooby-Doo is a great little series that the SSAA Podcast Network are doing, um, where they are spinning a virtual wheel, and they are watching every Scooby-Doo movie. That means I believe they're watching, you know, the theatrical films, the and the direct-to-video, direct-to-DVD features. So I asked very nicely if I could be on the one they did for Scooby-Doo WrestleMania Mystery, and I recorded that recently, and it is now up on their Patreon. It was really great. I'm really, really happy that we were able to talk about it, and I had a grand old time re-watching and talking about Scooby-Doo WrestleMania Mystery. It is ridiculous. So, again, that is patreon.com slash SSAA Network, and they don't just have... They've already had several episodes of The Wheel of Scooby-Doo. They've talked about some really weird specials. Um, so you can check out their Patreon, f- get more of The Wheel of Scooby-Doo. They also have a network of over half a dozen great podcasts, including shows about One Piece, Gintama, Hunter x Hunter, comic books, Rugrats, Tokusatsu, and even more. 
And they've been going for a long time, so they have a huge back catalog. If you're looking for the next podcast for your video gaming or for work, I highly recommend patreon.com slash SSAA network, and especially if you want to hear me talk about Scooby-Doo WrestleMania mystery. And finally, we will be back at you next time with the next episode of Elbit City Limits, where we will be talking about Fern and the case of the stolen story and Sue Ellen Vegges Out. We're getting close to the end of the season, and I do know that Sue Ellen Vegges Out is a little bit controversial. I've heard this brought up in the uh, in the Discord, which is another uh, Patreon perk. You get to join the Elwood City Limits Discord. Uh, I've heard this brought up in various circles as kind of a little bit of a controversial Arthur episode, so I'll be very interested to see what that is all about. But Lucas, we're post-WrestleMania, we're post-April Fools. Um, gosh, what else is there to look forward to? Happy Easter, everybody! Oh, that's right. Uh, so whether you are going to celebrate Easter this weekend or have already celebrated Easter, we wish you a happy holiday and happy days nonetheless. That was Elwood City Limits. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini... Wow, this must be at like a 14th grade reading level. We'll see you next time.